Welcome to season three of the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast. My name is Amy Wheeler and I'm your host. We are so happy to tell you all that's happening in the world of yoga therapy. And we love to find guests from all over the world so that we can share and learn and grow together. Some of the things that are happening in season three that we find so exciting is that not only are we continuing with the free gift that we are giving out every single week in season two, and you can see more about that in the show notes, but now we are adding a YouTube channel and you can see all of these podcasts on video. The YouTube channel is called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. Some people like to watch video maybe you want to use it for one of your trainings these videos on youtube will be there for you to use for free we would love your support we have opened up a patreon page that is going to help the podcast flourish and grow you can help us to expand and grow and create more content for you and we'd love for you to visit the patreon page which is called optimal state and yoga therapy hour podcast so let's go into our guest today and please nourish yourself take time for yourself and really relax into listening to the podcast hello today on the podcast i talk with my friend and colleague baxter bell baxter is a really popular figure in the yoga world and well-deserving he is someone that is really doing the work out there, being of service, connecting with people, and that's the most important thing to him. But he's also spreading the word about healthy aging and a new word that I didn't know until this podcast called thrivency. And what that means is that we're moving past resiliency into thriving. And there's been so much critique about helping people to be resilient in spite of the dysfunctional structural systems that we live in, like teachers and nurses and healthcare workers, just about everybody being expected to work eight to 10 hours without a break, no um, attention to their personal needs to have food, go to the bathroom or anything like that. No. Uh, time to rest, to lie down, to breathe, to feel. And I think a lot of us ended up in the field of yoga therapy because we had been in these careers that we got burnt out of, and we just simply couldn't stay healthy and continue to work in corporate America or education or healthcare. So Baxter and I today talk about this idea of thrivancy, about burnout, about how it is that one can switch from one career to another, what are the positives of that, the, the cons of that. And what I really appreciate about this episode is the focus on well-being and how is that we can do our work in the world and still achieve a lifestyle that helps us to have that sense of well-being. I think, you know, many of us are teetering on that that edge of, oh my gosh, I got into yoga and and I thought it was going to be easier, but wow, there's a lot of really hard things about being an entrepreneur and about putting yourself out there in the world and maybe we're working just as hard as we used to in the corporate setting, but at least we're loving the work that we do. 
So this episode is full of wisdom, sweetness, and kindness, and I'm really happy to share it with you. I know I'm working on my personal journey towards Thrive and See, and right after we taped the episode, I actually went for a walk with my dogs just to reflect on what is it that would help me feel like I am thriving. And so I hope by the end of the episode, you'll want to do the same, maybe journal or just spend some time in nature and really get clarity about what it means to thrive for you. All right, let's go meet Baxter. In season four, we are introducing a brand new element to our podcast. It's a way that we can get you listeners involved, and it's called the best of humanity. This is a little segment. It'll be a two to three minute segment that we put at the beginning of different episodes in season four, starting January, 2023, where you get to tell us a little story, two to three minutes of something that someone did for you or you observed that demonstrates the best of humanity. What we'd like you to do is to dial into this number, which is 909-754-4092 and leave a two to three minute, that's all, not longer, a two to three minute audio on the voicemail telling us about someone that you think should be featured in our Best of Humanity series. And then if you give me permission, I might put your voice on the podcast telling the story for the Best of Humanity. Or if you tell me on the voicemail that I don't want my voice on the podcast, Amy, why don't you just repeat this and you know you can tell the story. I'll be happy to do that too. You can call in at any time, day or night. This line is not one that rings. We, we check the messages on this line and we really look forward to having you contribute to the podcast in this way, lifting all of us up to show that really good things are happening in the world and that humanity has a chance and that we as yoga therapists are on the front lines with really wonderful things happening in our field individually and collectively. So join me and be part of the best of humanity. Again, that telephone line that you can call is 909-754-4092. And it's the same number on WhatsApp. If you'd like to try to contact us through WhatsApp, you could also leave a message there. Okay. Thanks for contributing. We look forward to this new best of humanity series. Hello, today I'd like to welcome you and I'm very happy to announce that we have Dr. Baxter Bell and yoga therapist Baxter Bell. Welcome. Thank you, Amy. It's great to be with you again. Yes, we have not seen each other since we were serving on the board of IYT together a few years ago. And it's just really nice to hear your voice and see your face. And I want to thank you for your service to the field, all those years of volunteering. It's really hard work that people don't really understand how hard the work is. So thank you. 
Thank you. And, and let me just take a moment to thank you for the time that you put in, too. It was certainly an honor for me to serve with you when you were the president of the board of IYT. And, you know, I, I'm excited about where they're taking things. So I, I look forward to seeing what happens in the future. We have a really great board right now. So I'm really excited to see what they'll what they'll come up with. Fantastic. Well, let's get into your story. You are a medical doctor. You are a yoga therapist. And I think you have some training in traditional Chinese medicine and or acupuncture. So can you start from the beginning? Like you were a medical doctor in Ohio, I believe. And then what happened? <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I did my medical school training and my undergraduate work at the University of Cincinnati in Southern Ohio. And when I finished up, I, I ended up doing a residency program right across the river in Northern Kentucky, Covington, Kentucky, and a great community-based hospital there, St. Elizabeth Medical Center, and had a wonderful time in my training, ended up joining a practice when I got out, which was based in Northern Kentucky, but served kind of the Cincinnati, greater Cincinnati area. And, um, you know, kind of dove right into a very busy, busy career as a family doctor. So, you know, that was early on, there were just three of us in our in my practice. <clears throat> so I was on call every third weekend, unless somebody went on vacation, and then I was on call every other weekend. <laughs> yeah, you know, taking call during the week, at least one or two nights a week, having a very busy practice. I mean, I, I, I remember from the first day I entered the office, I had full schedules every day. And so that was, you know, 20 or 30 patients a day that I would see in the office. And I would also go to the hospital and see folks in the morning before I went to the office if I had hospital rounds on a given day. Um, so, so my professional life was incredibly busy. And I don't know, maybe three or four years into my private practice, I discovered yoga, started to practice yoga with somebody that I was dating who was starting to teach a little bit. So I ended up, you know, taking a sabbatical after about 10 years in private practice. A little bit of professional burnout for sure. Also excitement about exploring something different. So I ended up moving to California and studying with a teacher that I had been studying with from afar. Basically didn't know if I'd return to my practice or not. That was all a big question mark early on, but I had some really wonderful connections through the program I was studying in. Uh, in Oakland, California. I got to start writing uh, some articles on health issues and yoga for Yoga Journal Magazine in the early 2000s. I was invited to teach uh, in some teacher training programs, combining my experience with anatomy from my medical training uh, and sharing that with uh, yoga teachers that were in training. Um, and so there was this kind of gradual shift away from my very traditional Western training and experience and you know being a yoga practitioner and then deciding to go and study in a yoga training program and on and on and so eventually i got to combine my past experience as a physician and my new yoga experience and i started working with clients and individuals one-on-one -on -one as well as teaching lots of public classes so that all took place over the course of you know a number number of years back it's been a while now <laughs> Can I ask a question? Because so many people come to yoga and yoga therapy out of corporate America or healthcare, or maybe they were a teacher and they do have that burnout, but that jump to give up the healthcare benefits and the regular paycheck, it's just really hard for people to give up until they simply can't do it anymore. Was yeah. that hard for you? 
It, it was. I remember I was excited about the possibility of, you know, getting to study yoga kind of full time for a while. Um, and I was also going to study acupuncture at the same time. I, I did a program for physicians at the time, but I was fearful. I was fearful of giving up all that security and that kind of certainty. You know, when I went into medicine, I thought I'm a family doctor. I'm going to I'm going to take care of these people until I'm in my 70s or 80s. You know, I had this Marcus Welby MD attitude, you know, if anybody's familiar with that TV show from back in the day. But then I was also excited about this new thing that I was experiencing. And, you know, the the my personal experience of the yoga and how it was impacting me as a human being um, was palpable. Right. Um, so I had this fear and I had this excitement. I finally sat down one day and said, well, if I'm really serious about this, let me look at where I am financially. Have I saved enough? You know, and I, and I happen to be a fairly frugal person. Mm-hmm. So I had saved up a lot over the years and I thought, well, you know, I can survive for two years. <laughs> if, if I want to go do some new training, I can survive. I, I can, I'm not going to suffer. I can pay for my rent and I can, you know, get put food on the table. And so once I once I took that tangible step of sitting down and kind of looking at all the variables, right? And I could also say, well, my practice said I could come back. If I want to be a family doctor again, I can do that. You know, so I, I kind of had an idea of, you know, uncertainty, but a, a path forming in front of me. And, and that helped me with my fear a lot. And, you know, fortunately for me, like I said, when I when I got to California from Ohio, where I now live, I live in Oakland, California now, you know, I was I was in a very kind of, I was with a group of really interesting teachers, four really kind of interesting teachers who were kind of, I thought, I think progressive in their way of approaching yoga practice. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, you know, I, I had those mentors and then through that, I had some connections that allowed me, like I said, to write for Yoga Journal magazine. So, you know, once I got here, I started to feel more comfortable that, well, maybe this is going to be good. I could still go back. And then eventually I realized, you know, especially from the burnout aspect, I was so tired the first year that I left my practice and moved out here and was doing these other things. I mean, I could feel I, I had ignored the the depth of the physical exhaustion and the mental strain of you know, just the, the, as a physician, there's a lot of concern and worry about, am I going to harm somebody? Am I, am I going to get sued and lose you know, everything I have? So there's these kind of myriad factors that you deal with You You love the care that you give to people. And yet there's this other side of the, you know, modern healthcare system that we have to contend with. So I was exhausted for the first year afterwards. But, but then as I came out of it, I was like, I like this new life. <laughs> I don't think I want to go back to my old life. What do I do now? How do I create something sustainable for the next 20 years? It's been 20 years now. So it's like, wow, I, you know, it's been 20 years since I kind of made that shift 22 years. And it, you know, it's, it's been a, a great, a great journey for sure. And it sounds like very quickly you, you kind of came into your, if you want to call it a niche yoga for healthy aging and kind of combining your knowledge of the human body and maybe different disease pathologies or anatomy with the yoga. It sounds like there was like a nice fit there for you. Would you say that's true? Yeah, there was some synergy that started to happen for sure. I mean, in the early days when I first moved to California and I was you know, studying yoga and learning acupuncture and then starting to teach a little bit and and then starting to see clients for my acupuncture practice and maybe working one-on-one with some yoga students that i had my classes i was still kind of in that learning phase and gathering knowledge and gathering experience and then i was also being asked to kind of parlay my my background in medicine with 
the anatomy trainings that I started to do for colleagues of mine that had yoga teacher training programs. And I eventually was on staff at Piedmont Yoga Studio where I had been a student and now I was asked to be a faculty member. You know, this is probably not an uncommon story for many of your listeners, uh, right? We, we kind of have these things that kind of evolve. And then at, maybe in 2000, I'm trying to think what year it started, maybe around 2011, after I've been doing all this for a while, I had started to offer workshops and retreats in that period of time as well. A fellow student of mine, we were studying with Donald Moyer in Berkeley at the time. We started talking about this idea of healthy aging and how yoga fits into that. And I think it would, I think it was maybe, I don't know the exact year now. I forget. It's been so long. But um, we started to write this blog. You know, before podcasts, there were blogs, <laughs> right? And, and uh, we started writing the blog Yoga for Healthy Aging. And then it was like starting to really focus and think more about it and experiment more around that idea started to take place on a regular basis because we were posting five days a week, Monday through Friday, sometimes with guest writers but uh, or interviews, but oftentimes generate generating our own content. And so that's kind of how, how all of these things came together. My medical background, my experience as a, a yoga teacher and a, a, a trainer of yoga teachers, and then kind of thinking about, you know, just being a person getting older and noticing a lot of the people in the class that I was taking as a, a, a teacher already, I, I found a teacher that I like to study with. They were, it was a much older crowd, actually. I mean, I, I, at that time, I was like one of the younger students in class. So I was kind of seeing, well, here's adults in their 60s and 70s still kind of participating in yoga on a regular basis. And, you know, how's that playing out for them and, and, and what's happening in their lives? So that kind of is how that whole idea of the yoga for healthy aging emerged for me. And one of the things I really love about what you did with that, you were writing these blogs five days a week, which I don't even know how you did that. I know you had well, I wasn't a, doing it alone. I was doing about yeah. half of those or a third of those. Okay. But so, let's even say two days. It was a lot. Yeah. But you took that and you parlayed it into this amazing book. And I don't know about anyone else who's listening, but I have these desires to write a book, but I just can't seem to find the time and I can't set aside what I need to do to get this done. And you really, I think, I don't know that much about it, but I had heard that you basically took a lot of these blogs and used them, parlaying them into a book. Is that correct? The process was a little different, but that's partially true. Yeah. So my co-author Nina Zolotov and I, after having written the blog for so long, decided to create a, an immersion or a training program in yoga for healthy aging, both for yoga teachers who were interested in kind of sharing the concepts with their students, especially if they were working with an aging population, but also for students, yoga students who were just interested in learning more about the topic and being able to integrate some of the concepts into into their lives. So the first step was actually creating this training program. And then it, it, what we realized is, wow, this could actually be a really good book. We didn't have a book. We were kind of putting together handouts with outlines and all that stuff. And it was like, wow, this is, you know. And so jokingly during the first training, which was in Berkeley, California, I think we had 30 or 40 people that came from around the country to do this program with us. It was a week-long immersion. Nina Zolotov had already co-written some books with Rodney E. over the years. And somebody in the audience in our, in our training said, hey, are you all thinking about writing a book? And Nina joked that, well, if somebody wants to pay me to write a book, I'll consider doing it. Because she knew what, she knew what it took to, the time it took to do that, because she'd already done that. After the class ended, it was our final day 
uh, one of the students, uh, this tall gentleman who had been in class all week, came up and he said, he handed Nina his business card and it was Shambhala Publishing. And he said, I'll pay you to write the book. And so right away we had this weird synchronicity of you know the first training, someone who was actually in publishing in our field was interested in that. And so, you know, again, it was an interesting series of doors that opened up kind of gradually progressing to this point where we then had this material and then this information and we could put that together into a, into a book format. Okay. And, you know, I, I, you know I, it, it, it's, it's been interesting because you know, you put this thing out in the universe and then you kind of forget about it. You go on with your life, right? You've got other things you have to do. But it's really been interesting to hear back from people over the years. It's been out now since I think 2016, something like that. And it's still interesting to hear back and people like, oh, you know, I read, I read your book. I use it with my students or I found it helpful for this or this. So, you know, it takes on a life of its own. You, you know, you're it's like a parent whose kid goes off and it's not till later you hear from a professor. Oh, I met your son. He's really doing well. It's, it's kind of encouraging to know that the book is actually still out there and seems to still have relevance for people, which is kind of nice. You know, Baxter, as you tell the story about leaving your family medicine practice and coming to California and then, you know, going with this blog and then a workshop and the Shambhala publishers, it seems like you have this ability to kind of trust yourself and just move forward in a direction with faith that either this will work out or I'll fall back to plan B. And it, it seems to be working out for you. Would you say that's part of your personality? Because a lot of people don't have that ability to kind of jump ship and and think, I can probably swim to shore. Yeah, I, I, maybe, I, I, I think, yeah, it's an interesting thing to consider. I, it's not that I've necessarily done this with a lot of things, but some, an observation that was made by someone that I had studied with, Richard Rosen, which maybe is part of why I was able to do some of the things I wanted to do is that he said to me, we sat down, he was my mentor during my teacher training program. And I don't know if you know Richard, but he's written multiple books. He's considered maybe one of the experts on pranayama, at least in the United States. And we sat down and he was my mentor and he was like, well, what do you want to do? Well, like, what's, what's your idea of what you'd like to do with this? And I said, <laughs> I guess I rattled off like five things, four or five things. I said, these are the things I plan on doing in the next couple of years. I said, I want to do this, I want to, and, and I told him what my plan was. And, and, and he kind of tucked that away in his mind. And a couple of years later, we were at something, probably I was now teaching with him instead of being his student. And he said to the group, he goes, I just have to say this about Baxter. He said, he told me what he was going to do five years ago, and he's done everything that was on his list. And that might have come from actually my childhood as well. You know, I, I was a, I, I studied violin as a kid, and I, I had to practice every day because I had a lesson every week. And then I went to a fairly demanding, you know, Jesuit old boys high school that was a college prep school. And if I was going to be successful, I literally had, I went home. And now, again, my brothers didn't necessarily do what I did. They both went to the same school, but I would go home after school and I would study immediately because my thought was if I can get my studying done, I'll have all the things I have to do out of the way and then I can do whatever I want to afterwards. One of my brothers came home and he did everything he wanted to do. And then later in the evening goes, oh gosh, I got to study now, right? So I had this other way of approaching things. And I, I don't, again, I don't know why that was for me, but maybe it was part of my personality. Maybe that was, you know, my constitution. I know that I've got a little bit of pitta, mm -hmm. fire in my constitution. And perhaps that was part of that, how that expressed itself, right? And so 
you know, I think that all plays into maybe how things have, you know, flow and the flow has been for me in my life, you know, and for your listeners, I'm 62. I just turned 62 a week or two ago. And, you know, I, even though I'm kind of where I am at my, in my life and with my work, I'm still wondering, well, like what's next, you know, is it time to make a shift again? And what would that look like? And, you know, can I sit down and maybe have that same conscious moment of, you know, looking at all the variables that I have available to me and saying, well, what's what's next for this? Maybe this, as we call it in yoga for healthy aging, the third act, right? I'm entering my third act, which for some people is retirement, but not necessarily anymore, right? As we know from the reality of living in a lot of places, sometimes we're working much beyond our 65th year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many people that I coach in terms of how to run a yoga business, they thought they were coming to yoga to kind of relax and bliss out and (laughs) be one with the universe. And, and what they didn't realize is it's still really, really hard work. It's just hard work that you want to be doing. Yes, that's right. And you know, when I think back on being a physician, I don't feel like I was strong-armed into, you know, studying what I studied in college and in in medical school, but I'm certain like that when I thought about what I wanted to do when I grew up, And I mentioned, you know, I've been thinking maybe being a doctor would be interesting. I know I got a lot of support from my family around that path, Mm -hmm. right? So part of it might've been my own inkling, but some of it also might've been maybe even even less consciously kind of what my, what my family thought was a, was a, a valuable work to do in the world. And there were many things I loved about being a family doctor. It's not that I didn't like that, but there were a lot of things that I didn't like about what I was seeing in the direction that it was going uh, and the emphasis on, you know, money, (laughs) the bottom line being money, you know, especially when my practice formed another joint venture with a hospital. And all we talked about in board meetings was the bottom line, the money. And I was like, aren't we going to talk about like the satisfaction of our patients that we give them really good care? And it never, it hardly ever came up. So, you know, that was part of my burnout. It was like, oh, that's really is not feeding my soul. And then I found yoga, which was definitely about, you know, addressing the things that were maybe very important in our lives in a different way, in a different way. So a lot of these questions you don't know, so you can refuse to answer anything you want, but I just, my mind gets curious when I hear you talk. Sure. If you were still a physician and you were, you know, grinding 12, 14, 16, 18 hour shifts, (laughs) is there anything that a yoga therapist could do to get your attention and say, Hey, we were the art and science of, you know, helping people find homeostasis over here. Is there anything we as yoga therapists could do to kind of put our foot in the door and wedge it open? Or do you think that they're just too exhausted to listen to one more thing? That's a really interesting idea. I I can tell you that I've I've seen some movement in in the area where I live in Northern California. I'm a patient of Kaiser Healthcare System. And it's very close to, I mean, one of the bigger centers for, in Oakland is like, literally, I can ride my bike there in 10 minutes. They're trying to kind of be much more progressive in uh, what they're presenting to their staff in terms of alternatives or complementary therapies for self-care and for actually things they th- think they need to know in caring for their patients. So I was actually invited to present Grand Rounds maybe two, three, it's been about three, four years ago now at, at Kaiser in Oakland. And it was, it was simulcast to other locations in their, in their system. And they, and they said, could you talk about, you know, 
yoga for low back pain and for mental health issues. So, you know, I created a presentation and there was, I don't know, maybe a hundred people in the room. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know how many people were watching online, but, you know, I, I, I'm encouraged when I see that sort of movement. And the reality is for a lot of physicians, their personal time is so limited. And now I know one thing that is happening for some of the docs at Kaiser is they have their patient care time and then they have time that they have to deal in doing electronic medical records. And then they've got now video conferencing. So, you know, it's like now they have two extra jobs that they didn't have 15 years ago, right? So I know that the demands on time are so challenging sometimes that the question is, where is there time for self-care? Mm. And so I, I certainly have a lot of compassion and concern for my colleagues who are still in that particular system. And, you know, I'm hoping that maybe they'll come together as a community and, and demand as healthcare providers uh, from these larger corporate systems that seem to be kind of, you know, holding the strings and say, you know what, enough is enough. We demand, you know, a, a lunchtime yoga class in, in, in the center and realize there are, the, 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 like Kaiser offers yoga for back pain for patients but you know maybe not for the staff right so i think there's a lot a lot of growth that can still go on there and you know i know a lot of people that are yoga therapists now are getting opportunities to work in hospital systems which is great i think the more and more visible we become the more and more we're interacting with physicians and they realize that we have a pretty robust training and that we have you know the understanding of medical terminology and we can hold an intelligent conversation with them around spinal stenosis or you know traumatic brain injuries or whatever the topic might be that that's going to again not only allow them to have a little more respect for what we do but they might actually be interested in experiencing what we do right that's one of the big hopes that i have as time goes on we'll have more and more of that cross-pollinization going on Absolutely. I think what I'm seeing out there in the field is just that, that if we can get to the healthcare providers, then they're like, this is really great. We need this for our patients too. But I think getting the attention, the initial attention of the higher ups, that's, that's where I'm seeing, you know, the grind happening that it's, it's a little tough to get their attention. So yeah, they're looking, you know, a lot of the, the people that are in, in charge in the hierarchy of things in modern medicine, they're still looking at the bottom line. You know, are they going to be able to, you know, make money at this it's in, mon, in, in for-profit situations? In, in non-profit situations, unfortunately, I think there's still some of that going on as well because they still have to, you know, they still have to pay their staff and, and their executives who want bonuses every year. So it's, a, you know, the, the capitalist model for healthcare doesn't really translate necessarily into the best care for the individual or the or the or the provider themselves and i think we have a ways to go to find a better balance for that yeah let's keep going though keep going people keep going well i was <laughs> i was walking this morning and thinking about integrative medicine and how hard it is especially during these difficult times wondering if our healthcare system is almost at a breaking point and if that couldn't open the door for things like integrative medicine or complementary care like or is it the other way that the healthcare system is breaking down and therefore we're lower on the list than everybody else do you have a, an opinion about that 
There's a historical example we can use. We can look at what happened in the late 90s in, in Cuba when the, when the, or the early 90s, I should say, when the Soviet Union dissolved because the Soviet Union used to provide technology and support in terms of the medical system in Cuba, right? So medications, technology, all kinds of stuff. And uh, so that was kind of cut off. And Cuba had to figure out how we're going to take care of our, our population without that, that relationship. And one of the things they did is they set up community clinics that were much less expensive to run. And they uh, started to offer alternative therapies in those centers. So acupuncture, homeopathic therapies, manual therapies like massage and things like that. It was actually fairly successful in helping to maintain at least a certain level of health in the communities uh, throughout, throughout Cuba. And so that was a long time ago and things have, you know, changed somewhat, you know, they, they have reestablished relationships, they can get medications there. They actually have pretty good research there. They developed their own COVID vaccine, I believe, early on in the COVID pandemic. So, you know, if we are at that breaking point, there are examples where people have had to get creative when there wasn't a lot of money available. And, you know, things like yoga are pretty cost effective. You know, there's still some cost involved in working with a yoga therapist or taking a yoga class. But compared to the cost of getting a single MRI, um, it's it's dramatically different, right? It's dramatically lower. So I, I, my hope is that as systems are looking for less expensive ways to provide basic preventative care for their communities, they can see yoga as part of that lifestyle medicine option more and more often, for sure. I love, love, love that. So the follow-up question is, what do you think is the mechanism that is making yoga and yoga therapy work to help people heal? Well, you and I know from our time being a part of IYT and receiving our journals every year and going to conferences, we know about all the research that's coming out about, you know, yoga applied for specific, you know, health conditions. So we know it's effective in addressing low back pain. We know it has some benefits for those with diabetes. We know that it can be helpful during and after cancer care, for example, right? So we know all these individual applications, but I always step back and I always talk about the global benefit of doing yoga, right? We know that it has an impact on how our nervous system operates, how it affects our hormonal system. And so, as you mentioned earlier, it has this ability to create balance, general balance, the idea of homeostasis is kind of moment by moment, our system is trying to find balance. Even when we're feeling well, the system goes out of balance for a moment and then it's brought back into balance. It's just a little teeny blip on the screen versus a more dramatic blip, like having a significant health issue arise in your life where you're really out of balance, for example. So this ability of our yoga tools to provide these underlying benefits to the whole system, right? It's a, it's a systemic benefit of practicing, you know, asana as the physical form and then pranayama as the subtle energetic form. And then even more subtly using meditation and sound and those things, combining all these things, again, has that global benefit for our overall health. And then we can apply it to individual things and we can fine tune the tools that we're using if we're talking about low back pain in someone that's otherwise mentally healthy and is doing well otherwise. The 
practice for that person is going to be different than the person over here who just completed uh, radiation chemotherapy and they're at a completely different phase in what's their energy's poor they can barely move their protocol or their practice is going to look very different so we can fine tune it but in general if we're doing a balanced practice we're getting all of those kind of homeostatic benefits that i just that i just talked about and as a physician i believe you're still currently a physician meaning you're you're still board certified. You know, we always hear this, this statistic and I have no idea if it's true, but you know, 70% of all the disease pathology that we see today has an underlying root cause of stress. Do you think that's true? Because if it is, then that, that means yoga and yoga therapy have great, great potential to help people feel better, heal, etc. Yes, I, I think actually, if you expand beyond just has a, as stress as a, a risk factor or precipitating factor for a lot of disease, if you back up and say lifestyle choices, right? Not just stress, but our lifestyle choices, the foods that we're eating, the amount of activity we choose to take part in, which may or may not be directly related to stress, right? So if we take that, it might even be more like 80 or 90% of the, especially the chronic diseases of health, things that usually show up as we get older, right? So yeah, I think I think yoga has great potential. I mean, you know, you and I are, we're, we're singing to the choir, choir leaders. To each other, but, but <laughs> I think if, if there are people that maybe are listening to your podcast who are a little newer to this idea, uh, or maybe he didn't realize those statistics. I think that can be very motivating for us. It can it can give yoga therapists a little bit of an elevator pitch, right? And how you how do you talk to people who haven't heard about yoga therapy? I mean, you and I know this. We go to a social gathering, and you're talking to someone you've never met before, and you say, "Oh, I, I'm involved in yoga therapy," and they say, "What's that?" I mean, right? Still to this day, most people that I talk to who have never done yoga for sure, but who even are have done some yoga and you say, I'm a yoga therapist. They're like, what's that, right? So even though I think yoga, I, even though I think our professional organization, IYT, is doing everything they can with a very limited budget and very, you know, kind of small resources compared to other organizations, they're trying to get the word out there. We still, as individuals, have to be getting the word out there. We have to be right. talking about what we do and what it is and why it's why it works for people and what our personal experiences. And if we can have some some simple things that we can say to folks that are going to catch catch their attention, then that can lead to a bigger conversation with people and then hopefully kind of bring them into the fold, get them involved in yoga therapy and you know they can see what the the power of the practice is like for them. The power of the practice, Amy. There's another good little catchphrase. <laughs> hey, I spend a lot of time on places like TikTok and Instagram, just doing general yoga therapy education. I, I have this little series now. Yoga therapy is the art and science of becoming your best self, or uh, uh -huh. yoga therapy is the art and science of creating homeostasis. And I just keep, you know, well-being, just keep putting in different words so that our community has short phrases that they can bring forward and say to a doctor or a friend or the publisher of Shambhala, <laughs> right? To, to yeah. educate because that's where we are in the field. We're in a very, very early stage of development in our field. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I think that's important to acknowledge. And 
I think it, for those folks out in our listening audience who are aspiring yoga therapists or teachers thinking about yoga therapy or just into their practice a little bit, you know, there's still a lot we don't know. So, you know, one of the things you, you had asked me to think about some take home ideas for folks. And one of the things I think is important, whether you're a yoga therapist or a psychotherapist or a family physician, is getting comfortable with saying, I don't know sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, like I had someone come in to see me recently and they had a kind of hernia that I hadn't dealt with in my in my family practice days. So I said, I don't know much about that, but uh, I'm going to do some research and I'll get back to you and let you know if I once I know more about it, then I can start to think about how we might apply the tools of yoga to that. Right. So but, you know, it's not easy to sometimes say I don't know because we're supposed to be the expert on some level. I'm the expert on yoga therapy or I'm the expert in this or that. I think that humility and, and acknowledging what you don't know to yourself allows you to say, oh, I, I have something more to learn. I still have more to learn. I get challenged all the time because a lot of people that come to you as a yoga therapist will do so because they've tried everything else. This happened to me as an acupuncturist when I first started doing acupuncture. I always got these really unusual, weird health conditions that, and I was like, wow, why are they coming to see me? Oh, because they tried everything else. It wasn't satisfactory, the, the you know, the, the therapies weren't satisfactory. They weren't where they wanted to be. And they said, well, well, I don't have nothing to lose. Why don't I try acupuncture? And I'm finding a similar trend in yoga therapy now. So a lot of times you're going to get, you're going to be confronted with some very unusual syndromes or situations. And you want to be able to say, you know, I don't know much about that. I, I, I'm hopeful that we can come up with something that's going to be helpful for you, but let me look into that further. And then I can always step back and also say to folks, you know, I'm also as a yoga therapist in the in the business of wellness, of, of trying to provide you with tools for your own wellness. And so even if I can't deal with your unusual diagnosis, because that's really not my job anyway, I can still give you some things that can at least help you cope with what's going on so I can address the stress you might be dealing with. And who knows, maybe some of the symptoms that you experience with this health condition you're working on, maybe they're gonna get a little bit better. They may not be gone, but we might have a kind of a, a, a beneficial impact on how you're feeling day to day. So you're just feeling better in your body as you move through your life and, and try to attend to the things that are important to you. I love that, that we are in the business of wellness, but we take into consideration the illnesses that you have going on. And, you know, regarding what you said twice, having the humility to say, I don't know. I think the reason why a lot of people can't do that is because they don't have confidence to be humble. It sounds ironic. Yeah, but it's a paradox, I, isn't it? Yeah. When I look at you, Baxter, you're, you're confident enough to be humble. And I think it's hard to be humble when you're very, very insecure. That ego comes up and wants to take over and try to puff up and be more than we need to be in that given moment. So I want to go to your personal practice and say, <laughs> what do you do to keep yourself happy, healthy, confident, strong? Number one, I still teach a lot. And during the Zoom era, <laughs> come uh, March of 2020, I, I started doing much more asana than I'd ever done probably ever because I was literally leading every class that I was verbally teaching. And so I started doing a lot of asana. So I, I've done more asana in the last three years than I probably had done the 20 years before that because I was sometimes leading 
two or three sessions a day during the week, right? So I, I probably I have eight or nine classes I think I teach a week. And some of them are therapeutically focused, others are just general, you know, wellness classes for the general public. So, you know, I was doing a lot of asana and I was also, you know, kind of guiding pranayama and doing and in preparation doing my own stuff. And so what I found is that what I needed I didn't need more asana. <laughs> I had plenty of asana going on. I needed more more breath work and, and meditation. So a lot of times my my daily practice would be 10 or 15 minute seated meditation, a mindful walk in the park. And then also I started during the pandemic because, you know, I couldn't I couldn't go to the gym. The other things that I was doing for my health, my wife and I started playing tennis again a couple of years ago. And we started doing a lot more of that because it was something we could do safely outside during the pandemic. It was one of the few things if you looked on the on the NIH's website or the CDC's website, it's like these activities are safe for you to do walking outside and tennis. They're like four or something. Right. So so we did that. And, you know, I started to notice that my 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 younger competitive self came out and I could be I, I still can't get kind of cranky on the, on the court if it's not going my way. And I was like, but I have a friend that I started playing with and he's really he's like he's like my Zen master. He's a couple years older than I am. And he's a much better tennis player than I am, but he just loves to go have fun. He doesn't really care about winning at all. And so I'm with him and he likes yoga and he knows that I'm a yoga teacher. So he'll go, this is a lot like yoga, isn't it? And he'll like, he'll say to me, isn't this kind of like, you know, when you're meditating on stuff and, and it gets me, he's like, he's like my, yeah, he's like my Yoda. He like gets me in, the, in, in a different mindset when I play with him. So, so, you know, when he's out of town for two weeks, it's like, gosh, I can't wait for Kevin to get back in town. So that's another part of my self-care, right? I, I try to do these other things with some of the qualities of mindfulness so that I'm not just, and I'm not getting stressed out doing something I love to do, which is play tennis, you know? So anyway, those are some of the things I've found helpful lately. And fortunately, I live and love a woman who's a, an Ayurvedic practitioner and uh, educator. And so like we eat awesome and she's always bringing really cool Ayurvedic recipes into our, our daily lives. And, you know, I, I feel very blessed that I, I get to have a partner like that, where the nutrition part of my life, is, diet is such a huge part of wellness, is something that I don't put as much thought into, but I get to have the benefits of being with someone who's educating people and wants to experiment with that all the time in our own home, which is kind of cool. Mm, you are lucky. <laughs> a very lucky boy. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think you touched on something that to me is very much yogic and, and yoga therapeutic that so many people have forgotten about that it's not just doing, you know, the checklist to take care of your health, but it's also joy building, right? That a big yeah. part of our wellness is what am I doing that brings me joy? And it sounds like eating well, playing tennis, these things bring joy. So it's not like, oh, I'm just going to try to get on the treadmill long enough to keep my blood pressure under control, but there's a, a joy component going on. Yeah. One thing I didn't mention that I do that's kind of on the my, on my joy factor, raising my joy factor is this also started right around the start of the pandemic is I've been a violinist since I was five. And, you know, there were periods of time like growing up, I played all the time. But then when I went to college, I didn't play. I had my violin there, but I only played for holidays, you know, and, and I didn't do anything with it. And then, you know, I started doing a little bit more in my third mid thirties. And when I moved to California, I got to play with some guys on a semi regular basis. But it wasn't until the pandemic, I started playing my violin every day. 
And, you know, it was more for me than anything because I was by myself. I, mean, I, I found an online course and a teacher that I really resonated with, um, who interestingly grew up in a household of, with two parents that were part of a yogic spiritual community in Colorado. And she eventually asked me if I would offer some yoga for musicians, yoga for fiddlers as part of her program that I was participating in. So anyway, I started playing my violin regularly every day. And I still do that, I, even though the pandemic is waning and things are maybe looking a little bit better. I still play every day and I take some lessons every day. So there are things that that doesn't do much for my you know, yoga therapy practice or my acupuncture practice, but it it makes me happy. <laughs> it gives me great joy. And like I might go to a, a jam tonight and I get to play music with a bunch of people because I, it's something I focus my energy on and I realize it's a benefit to me. So, you know, that's my little I don't, I don't know if it's my hobby. It's kind of my passion, really, in some ways. So that and, and all these other things that I've already mentioned together aren't just about, yeah, it's not just about me being healthier at 63 than I am at 62. It's about me continuing to find joy and to thrive. Mm. So I, I just, my wife and I have a program for yoga help for healthy aging that we do. It's like a monthly one hour talk we give. And then we have our, the people that participate get to attend two classes every month with such. Anyway, the topic we did last month, which I kind of came up with after I heard it mentioned on an interview on the radio was this idea of thrivancy. How do we go beyond just resilience? Your resilience is being able to bounce back from adversity. Thrivancy is different. It goes beyond that. It includes resilience, but it also has this idea of what am I doing to actually continue to blossom as a human being over time? Now, I'm not thinking that by playing my violin every day that I'm going to end up on the stage at, at the Freight and Salvage in Berkeley. I might, but I don't. That's not my goal. My goal is to play every day to immerse myself for at least a half an hour in the beauty of making music, right? That's my goal. And in doing that, I'm thriving on a certain level. And I would argue, you, you know, you, you very quickly said it may not be for my yoga or yoga therapy business, but you are someone that people really look up to and respect. And we see you as vital and vibrant and thriving and we think, I want to be like that, man. So in some ways you're doing it because it feels good inside. But the result is that people see you finding joy and thrivancy and want whatever you have. Can I have some of that? You know? Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, for our listeners, sometimes we get so goal oriented on our business that we don't realize role modeling a happy, healthy life is actually maybe the best thing we could do to build our business too, which is such great news, you know, yeah. go, go see another sunset. <laughs> so. That's a good point. Yeah. Thanks for kind of, kind of circling back and giving that another, uh, reframing that for me. That was great. Is there anything really challenging or difficult about what you do as a yoga therapist and a yoga teacher? You know, the, the challenges are kind of more just like dealing with the ego and fears and worries that come up occasionally around stuff. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, it's, I don't find it, you know, it's so funny when, whenever I'm actually doing what I want to be doing, when I'm in the doing of it, when I'm with a client, it's great. I mean, time flies quickly. There's a creative energy going on. The connection with the individual that I'm working with has its own, a life of its own. And you know, so whatever uncertainties I have, or they're just usually on that ego level. And usually when I kind of just put that off to the side and do what it is that I'm doing, 
then it's great. I mean, if I'm not, if my, if I notice, gosh, I haven't been scheduling many people this month in my yoga therapy. Then I say, well, what are you doing to let people know that you have openings in your practice? You know, it's like, well, I haven't done anything. So as soon as I start talking about it, then people start going, oh, I'd like to schedule a visit. So again, it's like, we have to kind of remember that we're our own best advertisement. If we open up our mouths and share with people what we're doing and why we love doing it, a lot of times we're going to start to see that coming back as people interested in trying out our services. So, you know, I think that's the biggest challenge for me as a yoga therapist. Yeah. It's the challenges of, you know, running your own business, right? You, you, you are your own motivator. And, you know, again, I'm somewhat fortunate because my wife and I do collaborate on some projects. So I get to benefit from when she, her energy is higher around that. And then she gets to benefit from my skills of being able really to put promotions together and good with words and, you know, coming up with stuff like that. So, you know, it's nice to have someone you can collaborate with. If you don't have it in the household, you might find somebody in your community that you want to, you know, work with and, you know, create some sort of a, not a practice necessarily, but just a person that you can turn to for motivation periodically, kind of like I'm sure you do with people who come and want to talk to you about how to get their business up and running. That can be super helpful if you feel alone and isolated. I just think you're really lucky though, because to have this with your wife, anytime we're partnering with someone outside of our home, the self-interest of those two separate parties can sometimes get in the way. But when you're like you are with your wife and I I work with my husband, George, our self-interest is so enmeshed Mm -hmm. that it's only good that we support each other and we have the same goals going forward. So I think we're both really lucky in that way. I think if it's with someone outside the household, you you have to be really good at communication, setting boundaries, you know, all the things that you have to do when it's, you know, when when you when it's not guaranteeing the person's on your team, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned, Baxter, that you're you're kind of having some ideas about what where am I going from here? I'm curious about what's going to unfold in the next five or ten years. Do you have any ideas about <laughs> as your body ages and you can't do, say, three asana classes on Zoom every day? Do you have any thoughts about where you might be headed? I would say it's it, it's so early in that process that I, I don't have anything concrete, but I know that there's that niggling feeling in my mind and in my heart that things are probably at a point where I'm going to start to shift a little bit. You know, I, what I realize is uh, maybe maybe you realize this too. I really enjoy sharing whatever I've learned with other people. I enjoy uh, the opportunities I get to give talks uh, and and lectures and, and speaking engagements. So, you know, I'm maybe thinking about more opportunities to do that kind of work. You know, I, I realized that one of the things I was going to tell your your listeners uh, for their practices, I've created a, a library of short practice videos, you know, on different uh, poses and practices that I find very helpful now when I work with clients because I can, in follow-up, I can actually send them links to my YouTube channel that has those practices. So, and, you know, I used to kind of sit and write out a bunch of verbal stuff but we know that a picture sometimes, you know, is, is better than a thousand words. So, you know, things like that where I, I want to go back and maybe look at my library and instead of teaching an hour class, I'll create, you know, five or six new practices that I can then have available for that. And, and you know, so I'm thinking about how do I use my energy and my time more efficiently? So, yeah, those are all questions I ask myself because, you know, I, I don't necessarily 
see myself teaching three classes a day every day of the week into the future it's it's just the reality of getting older i want to i want to live in a body that feels pretty good um but i also want to be you know caring for it in a, in a way that's thoughtful and meaningful i love that efficiency but also a little bit of scalability like starting to yeah. think of working what's smarter not harder you know yes yeah so i'm finding that you know as i as i as i work with my clients more and more, I'm like, ooh, I, I, could, I, I was able to send them three videos, but there were four things that I don't have a video on. So like one of the things I need to start doing is start to compile that list of new video practices. And the other thing that's great about that is I often will kind of share the video with my larger community on Facebook and Instagram or whatever. And then I have it in my archive so that I can then, you know, use it whenever I need to. Right. And so it gives me it's, it's another marketing tool. You know, it's, it's it, people get to know, oh, Baxter Bell's a guy who does those weird balance poses or whatever. Right. And but, you know, I've, I've actually slacked off in that because I think I was teaching so much during the day during the pandemic. I haven't made many of those little training videos. It's been a while. And so, you know, it's a, it's an area that was something that was helpful and useful that I let kind of go into dormancy. Now I have to wake that up again, wake up that sleeping giant and see if I can get that going again. So those are some things that might happen in the near future for me. Yeah. And I think that speaks to having the clarity to know where to put your time and energy mm-hmm. and really thinking about working with the lifestyle that we want and the body that we have mm-hmm. knowing that we're you know aging somewhat how can we still do this work in a way that's sustainable for us yes absolutely so you know at the end of life i'm i'm thinking a lot about this lately because i have some family members that are experiencing end of life right now what do you want to know what do you want to have done or feel or sense in your own body, mind, and soul. Yeah. I, I, you let me kind of know about some of the questions I might be thinking about ahead of time. So I, Mm -hmm. I, I, and I, and I think about this stuff also, my, my my dad passed away over 10 years ago. My mom's in her kind of second half of her eighties. Now she's 86. I'm not so concerned about having a legacy. I hear about what's going to be your legacy. It's like, I'm not going to be here. I mean, what difference does it make? What if I have a legacy? We're going to be earthworms. <laughs> I'm going to be earthworms. That's like, yeah, that's that's all bound up in ego, right? So what I what I when I sit down and I really get quiet, what's most important is that that I connected with people, that I connected with people meaningfully. I, you know, I, if I if I was not around tomorrow, I I know, yeah, I know that I've been of service already. Mm. So I, I can continue to be of service and, you know, that's part of what I do. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't need to do more of that necessarily. It's, it's something I know I felt it. I know that, but that's, that seems to be an important thing about being alive to me. And then, you know, just experience, having experienced deep love and been able to share, to be loving to other people. I think that's, that's kind of it service and love are probably the two biggest things. And then eating really good sushi was another really important thing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so with you on both of those, you know, just having had that serious health concern myself lying there for weeks doing nothing in bed, wondering, 
is this the end? That that's exactly what I came up with. And I, I felt the same as you. I felt like, well, I've already been of great service. So anything on top is icing on the cake. Yeah. And really then what's left, but love. Yeah. And, and also maybe remembering to dip into joy when you can. I mean, we, yeah. now one of the things I think that's, I think helpful for Westerners to acknowledge is that there, you know, maybe we don't have the same kind of suffering people had 2000 years ago, and maybe we don't have the kind of suffering that's happening in the Ukraine or in, in the African continent or a lot of other places in the world that don't have kind of first world issues to contend with. But, you know, there still is an underlying current of dissatisfaction and difficulty that we all deal with on a daily basis. And, you know, if we can remember that Tapping into joy doesn't mean going out and getting drunk and stupid with your friends. It's not that kind of joy that we want to dip into. It's, it's, a, it's a more meaningful thing. It's maybe creative joy, like playing my violin and learning a new piece of music. Like I'm learning this new song called Flatbush Waltz, and it's a minor key, and it's really rich. It's very different from some of the stuff that I've learned in the last years. It's like, wow, just that. Like, oh, I love G minor. It's so hauntingly beautiful. And but you know again that's just me experiencing something in the moment for me on some level and that's okay that's like it's not selfish it's just like me experiencing joy that those things are are, are super important as well and so that kind of taps into the thriving and that makes me feel like I'm still thriving even though I'm 62 and I'm getting older it's like it's and it's but and right yeah I'm getting older I'm not excited about some of the changes and I'm still thriving on some level this is the unique thing about having a human mind that has memory and, and has this, uh, this, this amazing ability to, to be a human being is we can hold those paradoxes simultaneously and they don't negate each other. They actually both are happening in the moment, sometimes alternating, but in the moment, that's part of the complexity of our human lives. I think what you just said about joy is so important. We think of it as a luxury and, you know, if we look at the Panchamaya model from the Upanishads and you get to that m- deepest layer of Anandamaya, that's the most subtle layer, but that's why we're here. And, and here we've kind of put it to the side to say, oh, when I get to that, because I have all this other stuff I have to do, but mm-hmm. playing that G minor note and really just feeling it in every cell of your being, that's, that's why we're here, I think. And I think the Upanishads taught us that, right? It's probably one of the unique gifts that human beings get to experience that maybe my cat doesn't get to experience because he always leaves the room when I start to play my violin. So there's something going on there. <laughs> but, you know, it's again, it's something unique about this human life that we that we get to experience that hopefully at least every once in a while we feel blessed to be having this opportunity amidst all the struggles that we might also be involved in in any given moment. Well, I think that's a wonderful place to start to close today, but I'd really like to know where people can find you. How can they take classes with you? This episode won't be aired for a couple of months, but if you have anything in the new year that's coming up that you want to tell us about your website, all of it. 
Well, it's super easy. My website is BaxterBell.com. And so you can find all the information about what I'm doing and, you know, what's coming up and retreats and workshops. I usually take folks to Mexico in January for a lovely retreat every year. <laughs> I wonder what was going on there. Thank you. Look at you taking us right to my website. I teach a lot of online uh, immersions. Uh, the Yoga for Healthy Aging program happens usually once or twice a year, sometimes in person. We did it at Cropalo this year in person and we've done it here in 2020 online as well so you can join me from anywhere if travel isn't in your future and that's probably the best resource for finding me also um, i have a professional page on facebook baxter bell yoga and you can find me under baxter bell yoga on uh, instagram as well and also i have a youtube channel by the same name so you can subscribe to my youtube channel and then when i do have some new videos coming up you'll get to hear about it first and you can check that stuff out you can also email me at baxter at baxterbell.com if you want to connect that way i think that's that's how to to meet and greet and i'm online teaching a lot every day so if you live in idaho or you live in Canada or you live in New Zealand, like one of my students does, you can take class with me from anywhere. Uh, that's maybe the one of the weird silver linings of the pandemic is we've discovered that we can actually have an even broader reach if we want to go, go that route. Well, Baxter, continue to do such great work out there. I'm honored to call you my friend and colleague. And I, I really, I love seeing you on Instagram and Facebook, and it's good to see you out there doing good work in the world. So thank you so, so much. Thanks, Amy. And I have to say, uh, it's so great to spend an hour with you. Uh, it's been so long, but I just have fond memories of conversations we had when we were on the board together, talking about things unrelated to yoga and related to yoga. And so I'm honored to have been on your podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. I took a little walk after this episode because I really just wanted to take in what we were talking about. And that is this idea of thriving and not just surviving, being able to leave a position of security and basically trade that security in for freedom. And really what was so touching to me about the episode was at the very end when I asked Baxter, you know, let's reverse engineer. Let's look at what do you want in the end of your life to have known and felt and been? And maybe that can help us reverse engineer to what is the last third of our life look like? And Baxter so poignantly talked about he's been of great service to the world and really appreciated that and loved that. He has loved deeply his students, but I'm also sure his family and his wife and his friends. And he really strives to have joy every day and playing the violin and playing tennis and spending time outdoors and eating great food. All of these things, if we look at the end, like what do we want in the end? How do we reverse engineer that for the life that we have right now? Many of us listening are either in the heart of trying to figure out who we want to be and how we want to be and how we want to feel every day, or maybe we're headed into that last one third of, of our lives and we want healthy aging, but I know it's going to be something that I think about for some time. How can I reverse engineer and thrive in this final one third while knowing that I do have to 
have some security because let's face it, as we age, we can't work as hard, right? I just went on a dog walk. I'll probably take a little rest this afternoon in between appointments, making sure I eat a good lunch. These things are more important than ever. I used to be able to power through a 10-hour day. I cannot do it anymore. And so how can we have that security as well as that service and love and joy that I think so many of us want in this life? That's really the the crux of the issue. And the question is, can we do it as a yoga teacher or a yoga therapist? And I think for some of us, the answer is yes. And for some of this, the answer is no. We're going to have to find other ways to provide for ourselves in addition to yoga. And I think that's not a, a very popular message, but it is. It just is. And as I look at my aging parents and what they're going through at the end of their life and how much care is needed, it really does give me a pause to think about, okay, how can I work with what I have, meaning you know, all the benefits, all the resources, all the support, but also how can I make sure that I don't overtax myself? Like those, that, that energetic balance is really important too, and yet provide for ourselves now and in the future. It's a puzzle that I think many of us are spending a lot of hours a day trying to figure out. And that's why I think this episode was so poignant because it's something that for many of us, this is on our mind quite often. And I don't have the answers for you. All I know is that if we do a daily practice and we get very quiet inside and we connect with our deeper self and we accept where we are and we're honest with ourselves, I think it's possible to find that puzzle that each one of us has. Each one of us has a different puzzle, but I think we can see the areas we need to shore up in our life, the things we need to cut loose, the things we need to shift and change and work towards that more sustainable future in all the different areas of our lives. And it might even require big changes. I know I I think about that often, like, do I need a really big change? Am I stuck? (laughs) Do I need to just like really clean off the whiteboard and start over? And I literally have a whiteboard that I draw on all my dreams and hopes and reverse engineering, put it on my wall. Like it's okay to let go of some things that maybe were good for us at a certain time, but they're no longer there for us. And sometimes it's hard to say goodbye to things that are sweet and special, but it's okay. I'm I'm wrestling with that myself, just trying to say like, even though I enjoy something and I love it, it doesn't mean I have to keep it in my life. So I wish you well on this journey of self-exploration, finding that puzzle that is going to work for you to move forward, especially those of you in the last one third of your life. All right. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. We wouldn't be here without you. And we appreciate you so, so much. Please don't forget to sign up for our newsletter mailing list, where we give you a free gift every single week. It's usually something that the guest has been talking about, like a book chapter or an article or an infographic. Check out the show notes for that. Thank you for listening today. Don't forget, we have a new YouTube channel called Optimal State with Amy Wheeler. 
We also have a new Patreon page where you can support us to bring you the most excellent content. And that is Optimal State and the Yoga Therapy Hour Patreon page. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel, senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines. Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada. Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria and Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.